Section 22 of The Obscure Night of the Soul by St. John of the Cross. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book 2, Chapter 7. The same subject continued. Other Afflictions and Trials of the Will. The afflictions of the will and its trials here are also immense. They occasionally pierce the soul with a sudden recollection of the evils that environ it and of the uncertainty of any relief. To this is superadded the memory of past happiness, for souls of this kind when they enter into the night have, generally, had much sweetness in God and served Him greatly. But now, to see themselves strangers to so much happiness and unable to recover it, causes them the greatest affliction. This was the experience of Job also, for he said, I, sometime that wealthy one, suddenly am broken. He hath held my neck, broken me, and set me to himself, as it were, a mark. He hath compassed me with his spears, he hath wounded my loins, he hath not spared, and hath poured out my bowels on the earth. He hath torn me with wound upon wound. He hath rushed in upon me like a giant. I have sewed sackcloth upon my skin, and have covered my flesh with ashes. My face is swollen with weeping, and my eyelids are dim. So many and so great are the torments of this night, and so many are the illustrations of them furnished by the holy writings, that time and strength would fail me were I to attempt to enumerate them. For beyond all doubt, all that can be said of them will fall short, and the illustration before us will enable us to form conjecture as to the others. And now to conclude the subject of the first line of the stanza, and to show what this night is to the soul, I will repeat here what the prophet Jeremiah has said of it. I am the man that sees my poverty in the rod of his indignation. He hath led and brought me into darkness, and not into light. Only against me he hath turned again and again his hand all the day. He hath made my skin and my flesh old. He hath broken my bones. He hath built around me, and he hath compassed me with gall and hardship. In dark places he hath placed me as the everlasting dead. He hath built round about against me, that I go not forth. He hath made my fetters heavy. Yes, and when I cry and ask, he shutteth out my prayer. He hath shut up my ways with square stones. He hath made my path crooked. He is come to me as a bear lying in wait, as a lion in secret places. He hath turned aside my paths, and hath broken me. He hath made me desolate. He hath bent his bow, and hath sent me a mark for the arrow. He hath shot into my reins the daughters of his quiver. I am made a laughing-stock to all my people, their song all the day. He hath filled me with bitterness, he hath inebriated me with wormwood, and he hath broken my teeth one by one. He hath fed me with ashes, and my soul is repelled from peace. I have forgotten good things, and I said, My end and my hope is perished from the Lord. Remember my poverty and transgression, the wormwood and the gall. I am mindful and remember, and my soul languisheth within me. These lamentations of the prophet, 
which so vividly depict the sufferings of the soul, refer to those trials and afflictions which come upon it in this purgation and spiritual night. That soul is worthy of all compassion which God leads into this dreadful and horrible night. For, although it is well within it because of the great blessing in store, and of which this night is the source, since God will raise up good things for it out of this darkness, and bring light over the shadow of death, as it is written, He discovereth deep things out of darkness, and bringeth up to light the shadow of death, so that his light shall be as extensive as the darkness that is past. The darkness thereof and the light thereof are alike. Nevertheless, on account of the immense sufferings it endures, and the great uncertainty of any relief, for it imagines that its calamities will never come to an end, God having made it to dwell in darkness as those that have been dead of old, the spirit is in anguish within it, and the heart within it is troubled. Its condition is one of deep suffering, and greatly to be pitied. Besides, the soul derives now no consolation from the advice that may be given it, or from its spiritual director, because of the loneliness and desolation which overwhelm it in this obscure night. Though its confessor may set before it in many ways the grounds of comfort which are to be had in the blessings which these its sufferings imply, yet the soul will not believe him. For being absorbed in the sense of the evils that environ it, and seeing clearly its own misery, it imagines that its spiritual director, not seeing what itself sees and feels, speaks as he does without comprehending its case. It is pained anew instead of being comforted, for it considers that his counsel is no remedy of the evil it suffers from, which is most true. For no relief, no remedy is possible for that pain. This is the more so inasmuch as the soul is powerless here, like a prisoner in his dark cell bound hand and foot, unable to move or see, and shut out from all help whatever until our Lord shall have accomplished the purgation of the soul in his own way, until the spirit is softened, humbled, and purified, until it becomes so refined, simple, and pure as to become one with the Spirit of God in that degree of the union of love which he in his mercy intends for it, and corresponding to which is the greater or less violence, the longer or shorter duration of this purgation. But if this purgation is to be real, it will last, notwithstanding its vehemence, for some years, but admitting of intermissions and relief, during which, by the dispensations of God, the obscure contemplation, divested of its purgative form and character, assumes that of the illuminative and of love. Under this form of it, the soul, like one escaped from the dungeons of its prison into the comfort of space and freedom, enjoys the sweetness of peace and the loving tenderness of God in the flowing abundance of spiritual communications. This is to the soul a sign of the spiritual health which is being wrought within by this purgation and a foretaste of the abundance it hopes for. So much so is this at times that it thinks all its trials are over. For such is the nature of spiritual things, when they are most purely spiritual, that when trials return, the soul thinks they will never end, and that all its goodness has perished, and when it prospers in its spiritual course, it thinks that all its calamities are past, and that it shall always abound in good things. 
Thus it was with David when he said, In my abundance I said, I shall never be moved. The reason of this is that the actual enjoyment of one thing in the mind is inconsistent with the enjoyment of its contrary. But this is not the case quite in the sensitive part of the soul, because of the weakness of its apprehensions. But as the spirit is not yet wholly purified and cleansed from the afflictions of the inferior nature, though more resolute and consistent now, it is still liable to pains, so far as it is under the dominion of these affections. This is evident in the life of David, for when his state changed, he was in affliction, though he had said, in the day of prosperity, I shall never be moved. Thus the soul, in the actual enjoyment of spiritual blessings, but not observing the radical imperfections and impurities which still remain, thinks that all its trials are over. This thought, however, is of rare occurrence. For until the spiritual purgation is complete, the sweet communications of God are rarely so abundant as to conceal the root that remains behind, in such a way that the soul shall not be profoundly conscious of some deficiency, or that something still is to be done. Nor is the communication such as to allow it to enjoy the relief that is offered it perfectly, for it feels that there is an enemy lurking within, who, though he may be subdued and lulled, will yet return in his strength and assault it as before. And so it comes to pass, for when the soul is most secure, it is then plunged at once into another affliction, heavier, darker, and sadder than the previous one, and which, perhaps, will be of longer continuance. The soul again is convinced that all goodness has gone from it for ever. Experience cannot teach it. The blessings that flowed out of its former trials, during which it thought that its sufferings would never end, cannot prevent it from believing, in its present trials, that all goodness has perished from it, and that it will never be again as it was before. The present convictions are so strong, grounded on actual feelings, as to destroy within it all the occasions of joy. Thus the soul in this purgation, though it seeks to please God, and is ready to die for him a thousand deaths, for souls thus tried love God with great sincerity, nevertheless finds no relief, but rather an increase of pain herein. For seeking God alone to the exclusion of aught else, and seeing its own miserableness to be so great, it doubts whether God is not angry with it. It cannot then persuade itself that there is anything in it worthy of love, but rather is convinced that there is that in it which should make it hateful, not only in the eyes of God, but of all creatures also for ever. It grieves to see within itself sufficient grounds why it should be abandoned of him whom it so loves and so longs for. End of section 22